You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Venezia, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. God loves us so much that He won't allow us to continue to live and act as we once did before our conversion experience. That is to keep us from destruction, you see. And so God is interested in changing us and conforming us into the image of His own dear Son, Jesus Christ. And so I believe that God has taken control of my life. Do you know how much God loves you? It's unfathomable the depths that His love reaches to. Our human minds just cannot stretch far enough to grasp the lengths He has and will go to to win us back into His arms. Today in his message, Pastor Mike walks us through some of Jacob's story in the Old Testament. And he points us to how far God was willing to go to save Jacob from himself. The same goes for you and I today. God loves us more than we can imagine, and he will go to extremes to win us for himself. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of Genesis chapter 32 as he begins his message, Why God Crippled. So Genesis chapter 32, beginning in verse 24. Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now, this is sort of misleading, because that word man can literally be translated angel. It can also be translated messenger in the original Hebrew manuscripts. And my personal opinion, and I'll give you the reason why I believe that, was none other Jacob was wrestling with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It was a, what is referred to as a theophany. So it's an appearance of Christ in the Old Testament. You say, you know, how did I come to that conclusion? Well, if, notice if you quickly jump ahead to verse 30, we are told, so Jacob called the name of the place where he wrestled with, as the scripture indicates, a man, but it was certainly more than a man. He says, for I have seen God, notice that, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. So even the Bible testifies to the fact that this was no ordinary man. And again, more than likely, it wasn't even an angel. It was probably Jesus, a theophanies, an appearance of Christ in the Old Testament. Now, verse 25. Now, when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip, that is Jacob's hip, And the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him, actually reduced him to a cripple. 
And he said, let me go, for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And so he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he called and he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have struggled with God and with man and have prevailed. So once again, this morning's message, why God cripples. Okay, so what we have here in this text that we're treating this morning is the story of how God crippled Jacob, whom he loved. And I want to emphasize that fact. This was someone whom God loved. The emphasis on God's love. You see, and I mentioned this last time in the previous message, the school of hard knocks, God loves us so much that he won't allow us to continue to live and act as we once did before our conversion experience. That is to keep us from destruction, you see. And so God is interested in changing us and conforming us into the image of his own dear son, Jesus Christ. And so I believe that God has taken control of my life, has taken control of your life, and there's nothing left to chance. Now, if you doubt this, let me just throw that out there. If you actually doubt that, that God is not involved in your life, and there's nothing going on in your life, except what God is allowing to come in or out of your life, maybe it's simply because you haven't yielded up your life to him. Because those of us who have, have experienced that. You know, when we look at the way our lives unfold, the only explanation that we can offer for the way it is unfolding is by putting God behind it. Those miraculous experiences that we have. That can only be explained, again, by putting God behind them, God going before us, providing for our needs in supernatural ways so often, healing us, doing so many wonderful things. Amen? Isn't it true? If that isn't your present experience, you know, let me just suggest, maybe you just haven't yielded up your life to Christ. But now here's the problem, and here's when the problem comes in. So many times, I have to face and forced to face Trying times in my life. You see, just simply because I've become a child of God, it doesn't eliminate those times of testing and trials and difficulties and problems and and struggles. And here's the problem. If God has taken control over our lives, which I firmly believe, and he is in control of whatever comes into my life, then I at times, find it extremely difficult to reconcile those trying times with the God who is supposed to love me. I mean, here's the question. Why would God allow me to be afflicted with pain? I mean, why hurt the one that you love, right? And so it's hard to reconcile the two with a God who's supposed to supremely love us. Okay, so let's go back to our text now. And here in our text, a man is left a cripple. And why is that? That's the question that we should be seeking to answer. And what's the purpose? In fact, is there a purpose? Well, to answer that question, I think that we have to dig a little deeper and examine the sequences of events leading up to this morning's text. 
We need to study the character of this man, Jacob, who is reduced to a cripple. And if you've been here for the last couple of weeks, you already know something about this man. But for the benefit of those of you who are just joining us or you haven't been around for the last couple of weeks when we were first introduced to Jacob back in Genesis chapter 25, we need to go back. We need to go back, and I'm going to remind you about certain things or introduce you to certain things for the first time, but we're also going to jump ahead and we're going to consider Jacob from different verses of scriptures and cross-references that we haven't even entertained before or we even haven't discussed before, examined before, or broken down for you before. So I guess what I'm trying to say is, listen, you guys need to stay with me, okay? And we're not going to do all of the work for you. You're going to have to do some of the heavy lifting on your own, okay? So I'm going to ask every one of you to try to be really focused. And as I share these cross-references with you, turn the pages of your Bible and check it out for yourself. Okay, so the first text of scripture that we want to consider this morning is found in Genesis chapter 25. And this is where we're first introduced to Jacob. And there we have recorded for us the account of his birth. And Jacob was one of two boys born to Isaac and Rebekah that day. They were twins. Okay, so with that said, Let's pick up now in chapter 25 and verses 24 through 26. So when her days, that is Rebecca, her days were fulfilled, she came around full term, for her to give birth, indeed there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red, and he was like a hairy garment all over. And so they called his name Bigfoot. No, I mean Esau, I'm sorry, I'm confused. <laughs> Afterward, his brother came out, that would have been Jacob, and his hand took hold of Esau's heel. And so his name was called Jacob. The word Jacob literally means in Hebrew, heel catcher or surplanter. And hold on to that thought for just a moment. And then we are told that Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. Okay, so notice Jacob catching hold of his brother Esau's heel. A cute little antic if you will, and thus the name heel catcher or supplanter. But I want you to understand, and I think I mentioned this when we were back in chapter 25, that actually this event is symbolic. It was symbolic of what Jacob would be like going forward, overtaking someone by catching them by the heel. And surely that became the story of Jacob's life. Now, as Jacob grew, and we've already discussed this, we've already seen this in our past studies, Jacob, as he grew up, became very shrewd, cunning, ready to take advantage of every situation. He was clever. He was a schemer. He was a manipulator. He, he was the guy, man, that you would never want to come into contact with because if he had the opportunity, if there was an open door, he would certainly take advantage of you. He was the first what you would you know, fall into the category of the first used car salesman, if you will. I hope none of you are used car salesmen here and have offended anybody. But he was always looking for a way to take advantage of you. And so it happened. Now quickly, and I'm not going to read this for you, I'm, I'm just going to rehearse what we've already talked about and briefly summarize. Verses 29 through 34 in that same chapter 25. 
he took advantage of his brother Esau's condition. We are told in that text of scripture that one day, remember Esau was a hunter. He was a man of the field. He was a man's kind of a man. And one day he came home from hunting and he was absolutely famished. And he was looking for and wanting food. And so Jacob was sort of the opposite of his brother Esau. He was someone who was tied to his mother's apron strings. And when we're first introduced to Jacob as a young man, we find him in the kitchen. And he's preparing a meal. And so Esau, famished, wanting and looking for food, traded his birthright to Jacob for a bowl of beans. And so ripped them off just for a simple meal. And then also later on in chapter 27, now jump ahead a couple of chapters. In chapter 27, so he's already ripped off his brother's birthright over a bowl of beans. And then in chapter 27, he ripped off the patriarchal blessing that was supposed to be pronounced upon the older son. Remember, Jacob conspired with his mother, Rebekah. At that time, Isaac was blind. He was on his, what he believed, was his deathbed. And Jacob deceived his father, Isaac. He was deceitfully, he deceitfully disguised himself as his older brother, Esau. Remember, they took the skin of a goat and they put it around his wrists and around his neck. And then he came near and and he sort of tried to disguise his voice. And remember, Isaac's sight had left him. And so now he's kind of like feeling, you know, and to see if, he's, if it is Esau. And he's, he's checking and he feels the goat's skins and the hair of it. Remember, Esau was a hairy guy. And so he pronounces the patriarchal blessing upon Jacob rather than the older brother Esau. But remember now, this was a, a, a conspiracy between Rebekah and Jacob to rip that off. And then after it had come to Esau's attention of what had taken place, what did Esau do? He swore a vow. As soon as my father Isaac dies, I'm going to kill my brother Jacob. And thus, Rebekah encourages Jacob to escape and off he goes to his uncle Laban's house in Haran. And when he arrives at that location, we are told in chapter 29 now, now let's jump ahead to chapter 29, all of which we've already talked about. I'm just summarizing for you quickly to set the stage for this morning's study. He fell in love with his cousin, Rachel. Now this I want to read, okay? In chapter 29, in verses, beginning in verse 18, now, Jacob loved Rachel, and so he said, I will serve you seven years for Rachel, your younger daughter. Now, who is he speaking to? His uncle Laban. These are the things that they would do to be able to you know, make that kind of a commitment to a relationship. They would sort of barter with the father. And so they enter into this agreement that he would serve, Jacob would serve his uncle Laban for the hand of his daughter, Rachel. And then in verse 19, and Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than I should give her to another man. So stay with me. And so Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed only a few days to him because of the love he had for her.
But then Jacob said to Laban, so obviously between verses 20 and 21, we have a, a period that lapses of seven years. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife, for my days are fulfilled that I may go in to her. And Laban gathered together all of the men of the place and made a feast. And now it came to pass in the evening, they were going to consummate the wedding, that he took Leah, his daughter, and brought her to Jacob, and he went in to her. So what's going on here? Remember last week I had mentioned the old switcheroo. You see, Jacob, the conniver, the deceiver, the fellow who always lived by his wit, who was always ready and willing to take advantage of, of anyone he came into contact with, finally had met his match. Or at least you think so. We'll see how this whole thing plays out in just a moment. But it just goes to show you, whatsoever a man sows, that also shall he reap. You know, if you think about it, Jacob is just simply getting his just deserves here. And then in verse 24, And Laban gave, gave his maid Zilpha to his daughter Leah as a maid. And so it came to pass in the morning that, behold, it was Leah. It must have been very dark that evening in that tent. And he said to Laban, What is this that you have done to me? Was it not for Rachel that I served you for seven years? Why then have you deceived me? And then Laban, who was a conniver himself, came up with this. And I don't know if this was even a legitimate custom or if he just made this whole thing up. Notice in verse 26, he says, It must not be done so in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Fulfill her week, and we will give you this one also, for the service which you will serve with me still another seven years. So what could Jacob do at this point? Then Jacob did so and fulfilled her week, and so he gave him his daughter Rachel as wife also, and Laban gave his maid Bilhab to his daughter Rachel as a maid. Then Jacob also went into Rachel, and he also loved Rachel more than Leah, and he served with Laban still another seven years. So 14 years in all. So Jacob had met his match? Well, you think so? Well, he served the other seven years, but then he stayed on with the uncle because the uncle found that God had blessed him because of Jacob's service. Because of the fact that Jacob was amongst his brethren, his company, God wasn't only blessing Jacob, but Laban was also prospering because of Jacob being amongst him. And so Laban acknowledged and recognized that. And so they began to establish these wages for Jacob. And in the next few years, Jacob, who had a few tricks up his sleeve, remember, again, resorting to deception here, he had pretty much stripped away his uncle's wealth from him. You know, it's been suggested that Jacob knew more about animal husbandry and selective breeding than any person who ever lived. And I think that just basically had something to do with God, God's hand being upon him. Because really, there's no, no explanation, no valid or good explanation for what is recorded for us in Genesis chapter 30 in verses 27 through 43. There's no good explanation for that at all. And I'm not even going to try to explain what's going on there and what's recorded there for us. But check it out sometime during the week. There's no valid explanation why God 
was blessing Jacob's flocks and multiplying them. And in contrast to his uncle Laban's flocks, it wasn't happening at all. But nevertheless, because of that, Laban's sons began to hassle Jacob. Why? Because he was ripping off their inheritance. Really, he was hitting them in the pocket. And uh, you know how that goes, right? And so in chapter 31 now, in verses 1 and 2, now Jacob heard the words of Laban's son, saying, Jacob has taken away all that was our father's. From what our father's, he has acquired all this wealth. And Jacob saw the countenance of Laban, and indeed it was not favorable towards him as before. Referring to, you know, oh yes, stay with me, because I acknowledge the fact that because God is blessing you, he's also blessing me. But now, that wasn't the case. God was only blessing Jacob, and Laban was suffering. And plus, the sons were thinking, where's, you know, he's going to take away all of our inheritance. And so Jacob is thinking to himself, things are getting pretty hot here, and I better leave. And so, jumping ahead now to chapter 31, in verse 20, Jacob flees with his wives and all he had acquired. He slips off into the night without Laban, his uncle, even being aware of it. All of what he had accumulated, all of the herds, all of the men servants, all of the maid servants, his two wives, all of the kids. And now three days later, news of Jacob's leaving comes back to his uncle Laban. And so he arms his servants, and in seven days, he catches up with Jacob. But the night before he actually catches up with Jacob, God meets with Laban and speaks to him and says in verse 24, don't you touch him and don't speak good or evil. And so now the confrontation between Laban and Jacob, and notice in verse 29, he threatens Jacob, and he makes known that he could have taken everything from him if it was not for the Lord's intervention. The night before, God speaks to him and warns him, don't you touch him, don't you touch him. If you do, it'll be lights out for you. And then Jacob rebukes his uncle Laban and says, listen, if it was up to you, you would have sent me away with Nothing. Notice there in verses 41 and 42, in chapter 31. He says, Thus I have been in your house 20 years. I served you 14 years for your two daughters, and then six years more for your flock. And you have changed my wages 10 times. Unless the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had been with me, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God has seen my affliction and the labor of my hands, and he has rebuked you last night. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long. Here at In My Father's House, we're going through the book of Genesis, where the story of the beginning is told. God made light and said that it's good. God made plants and trees and said that it's good. God made animals on land and in the sea, and he said that it's good. 
And then God made man, and he said that it is very good. Creation didn't stop at the end of the sixth day. Creating is an inherent part of who God is and what he does. Look around you. What do you see? New plants, new trees, new animals, each one unique in how it grows. And God is still saying it is good. God is in the business of creating new people out of old ones, undoing the inherent brokenness. When you were born again, a new creation, God looked at you and said that you are very good. He has made you new and restored you to the place you were designed to fill. You've been listening to In My Father's House with Pastor Mike Venizio. This is a ministry out of Harvest Christian Fellowship in Midtown Manhattan. We'd love to see you here. You can find all the information you need, including service times, on our website, harvestnyc.org. That's harvestnyc.org. If you're listening outside of Manhattan, we'd love to know that, too. Please send us a quick note at harvestnyc at verizon.net. That's harvestnyc at verizon.net. It's a great encouragement to Pastor Mike and the team at In My Father's House to hear where these messages are being listened to. We hope you'll come back and see us again, because there's no better place to be than in my father's house.